Go to the book of Psalms. Chapter 137. Let me go ahead and start this clock because I have about, what did Matthew say? 25 verses. <laughs> I want to let you up before the chicken is gone. Psalm 137, and I want to read verses 1 through 4. The title of today's message is, The Day the Music Died. And yes, I did think about putting a picture up there of Don McLean singing, Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. I drove my Chevy. Will y'all stop that? The levee was dry. Good old boys. I, I, I never listened to that kind of music. Nothing but Hosanna and Hillsong for me, thank you very much. And a little bit of Temptations. Joe Cocker. Three Dog Night. All right, let's get into the word. Psalm 137, listen to this. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. In verse 4, they answered, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I got to tell you that to me, this is one of the saddest episodes in the entirety of the Bible. For the children of Israel to learn to lose their song was not a small thing. If you'll remember in our study of worship, and Matthew, turn me down a little, or Charles, turn me down just a bit. In our study of worship, we learned something about the, the, the worship of the Hebrew people. Their worship was not apathetic. It was not laid back. It was not boring. The worship of the Hebrew people was high octane, high energy, in your face, full of life. I mean, they spun, they danced, they leaped, they twirled. They, 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 had, they had men's dance team in tutus. Their worship was, was something to behold. And, and really, listen, no other nation on the earth celebrated their gods the way the Hebrews celebrated their God. In fact, you can't say of any other nation, they celebrated their gods, they appeased their gods. The Hebrews alone were a nation, a unique nation, who celebrated. Now, of course, later on, i got to say that when, when the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they became religious about it, of course, they twisted it and made it a mundane thing. But the way it was originally, it was a celebration. Even their sacrifices were an act of celebration. They weren't trying to appease God. They were celebrating God in their dance and in their song. So for the, the, for the people of Israel, the, the, the children of Zion, to lose their song was a tragic thing because singing wasn't something they did. Singing was a part of who they were. It was part of their DNA. And really, truth be told, I mean, I know they weren't born again, but I think that that, that that nature of celebration was really, I think they inherited it from God. I think God's character is one of celebration. Because, I mean, we know from the Bible that God's a singer. God's a dancer. God's a leaper. God's a twirler. God is not apathetic, laid back. God is not a boring personality. Some of his people are, but he ain't. Some churches are. He ain't. He is an amazing personality. And I think the reason why God responded so well and so intimately to the Hebrew type of worship is because He shares it. Not only does He applaud it, that's the way He celebrates. And so that when, when, when they were in a strange place, and they could no longer sing. They hung their harps in the willow trees, sat by the river and wept. That was the day the music died. And it was more than just music. 
something in them died. And when their captors asked them, sing us, and isn't this amazing? There's always something so special about songs sung to God. I've discovered, listen, even if somebody can't really sing, if they sing with their whole heart to Him, it's special. I mean, some of the most anointed music I've ever heard was not the most professional. Even the Babylonians knew there's something about those songs you sang in Zion. Let us hear those songs. They demanded of them, sing us those songs. We want to hear those songs. And the children of Israel said in the King James verse 4, they said, we cannot sing in a strange land. Now I would dare say that none of us have ever been captured by marauding soldiers dressed in strange garb who spoke a strange tongue from a strange land and they took us bound into their country. But all of us have had strange times in our lives, right? Listen, I can't tell you how many times that I've spoken to people who once upon a time were connected and have become disconnected and when I ask them where they've been, they'll say things like this. Well, pastor, you got to understand, I'm just kind of going through a strange time right now. Or they'll say something like this. Well, you just got to understand, I'm kind of sort of in a strange place. And so they have the strangeness of their situation cost them their song. And my hope today, listen, the whole the whole purpose of this message is to make you so appreciate the uniqueness and the power of your own song that you will never surrender it, no matter how strange the time or the place you are in your life, that you will hold on viciously to your song because you'll recognize and realize after today is over the, 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 the place and the operation of music within the kingdom of God. I think it's apparent that most Christians in the world do not understand the operation of music within the kingdom of God, and they show it by the apathetic way they approach worship. I mean, listen, if we really understood as a church at large what music did and the place it holds in the kingdom of our God, we would never be late for a worship service, regardless of the style or the songs they're singing. Because it ain't about whether they sing your song. It's about a, the, the fact that a song is being sung. And if we understood what a song in the kingdom of God does, we would understand it's much more than just musical notes sung to harmony. There's a special place in the kingdom of God for music. In fact, listen, I got... I, now, here's where I'm a little bit tentative, but I'm going to go ahead and launch into it anyhow. I was listening to Bishop Miller one time, and he made a comment how in the early church, they believed that God did not speak the worlds into existence. Notice I pause for dramatic effect. And now I'll continue so as to relieve you from thinking I'm going to speak some heresy. They didn't believe that God necessarily spoke the worlds into existence. They believed, and I had never heard of this before. i got to tell you, I'd never heard of this before. They believed that God sang the worlds into existence. Go to the book of Job. Are you ready to be challenged? Job 38, verse 7. Now listen, as, as, as before we get into this, just as a way of, of hammering in how much of a, celeb a celebratory nature God has, go through the Bible and look at places like Zephaniah, 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, where the Lord speaks of rejoicing over the people. In Isaiah, it says that God will rejoice over you like a bridegroom rejoices over a virgin bride. In Jeremiah, it says that he will rejoice over you to do you good. In Zephaniah, he said he will rejoice over you in song, that he'll sing joyful songs over his people. And now that word rejoice, that doesn't mean be giddy. It literally means to be unbridled, to be let loose. It means that to experience joy at a whole new level. When, when the Bible speaks of rejoice, it ain't talking about going hee hee hee. It's talking about spinning and dancing and going nuts. Leaping and, and twirling and, and just being so excited about God you fall over. Why do you think the early Pentecostals were called holy rollers? Because they spun so much they couldn't stay on their feet. And when they hit the ground, they weren't embarrassed. They just rolled. How many of you ever heard of the Shakers? The Quakers? Two different groups, but they had basically the same practice. They would get together in their room and sing hymns until the presence of God came in so strong that they would shake. Thus the name, Shakers. Or they would quake. Thus the name, Quakers. Y'all are so sharp. But there, there's just, listen, this, this style of worship is not a new thing. Listen, jumping and dancing did not start with the charismatics. It started with God. It was inherited by God's people. So when God rejoices over his people, how many of you ever heard, is this, I'm just trying to get the train out of the station. And it's got a long track, or long, so it's taking a lot of energy to get it going. How many of you ever heard it said that the angels rejoice when a soul gets saved? Jesus never said that. Jesus said there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one gets saved. He didn't say, the, now the angels may get happy, but they ain't the ones rejoicing. It's the one who died that you might have life who's doing the rejoicing when you get saved. He's the, he's the one rejoicing in the presence. The angels are watching God go nuts. Because he's the one rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Because he died to get, he gave his life that you might live. And when you respond to his gift, he's not apathetic about it. So God rejoices. God, it's not outside, listen, it's not outside of God's nature to be a singer. So now we're getting back to this creation thing. Did, 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 did God actually sing creation? I mean, does song have that much power? Well, here in Job, listen, Job 38, verse 7, now you know that the Lord is responding to Job, and he says, he basically, can I paraphrase it? He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Were you there when I laid the cornerstone? When the, go, back, back, back. when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Do you see that? God himself is portraying creation as taking place against the backdrop of music. When the morning stars sang together. Can I just throw this out for your consideration? In the book of Revelation, Jesus calls himself the bright and morning star. And we know that everything that is, is through him. Now this is the old, now listen, when I, I studied this, because when Bishop brought it up, I, I, I'd never heard of it before. So I began to study. I began to look through some of my old books and and sure enough, all the way back to the Middle Ages. Now, I'm not talking this is some charismatic, holy genes, off-the-wall preacher who had a year and a half worth of Bible school that came up with this idea because he had nothing better to say. 
This, this, this mindset, this school of thought was back in the Middle Ages. Old line, hard line, main line denominations taught by scholars who spoke multitudes of languages. Not just the modern day preacher who struggles with English. And they taught, because of the nuances of the Hebrew language and verses like this and some others, that music was not merely the backdrop of creation, but music was the catalyst of creation. That in the darkness that defied all description, a voice rang out in song and caused all of creation to be. Here's something that's very interesting, and we'll get off this before you think I really have gone off the deep end. Modern-day scientists, physicists, and cosmologists who are not seeking to support Scripture actually have a theory that supports this. It's called background cosmic radiation. They have proven that all matter has harmonics. That all matter, the largest planet down to the smallest atom, all vibrates and gives off sound that can be recorded. And they're not seeking to support the Bible. They believe, listen to this, they believe that sound created, sound was the source of the Big Bang. That's what they believe. That sound, some sound, gave the Big Bang its push. They don't even know it. That supports the Bible. And from that time to this, sound, and not just sound, but harmonic sound, caused everything to coalesce and matter to become matter. Before the sound, there was no matter. After the sound, suddenly matter was. They think they're brilliant. It was in the book of Genesis the entire time. Now listen, I don't know whether God sang it, said it, or hummed it. I don't really care. Because it's not how the voice came forth. This much I do know, it was his voice that caused everything that is to be. So he maybe spoke it, maybe he hummed it, maybe he sang it. I don't know if he sang the worlds into being, but I do know all the worlds in their being have a song they sing to him. I don't know if he sang the cosmos into existence, but I do know that the cosmos exist to give him praise. It seems as if all of creation has a song. You say, Pastor, I want to see that in the Word. Well, I'm so glad you asked because I have some verses for you. Psalm 148. Where are you going with this? I am going to so hammer in the importance and the uniqueness of your song so that, that no matter where you are or what you're going through, you will never hang your harps on the tree and say, I ain't singing no more. Psalm 148, verses 3 through 5, listen to this. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them, who's them? The cosmos, the planets and the stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Now Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Do you see that? Now, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 32. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Now, he's not talking about the farmers in the fields. He's talking about the crops in the fields. Wheat, praising God. Well, that's outlandish. Well, really? Remember the time when the Pharisees commanded Jesus to make his disciples shut up? Jesus said, if they become quiet, the rocks themselves will immediately begin to shout out. Was Jesus insane? 
He said rocks will cry out. The rocks have a voice. The crops have a voice. The stars have a voice. Where's ours? Mm. It'll get good. Verse 33, listen to this. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy. You see that? The trees are going to do what? Sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. Once again, I'm going to say, I don't know if God... Now, this is an old school of thought. It really makes no difference to me. I'm of the school of thought. The way I was trained was God spoke it, and I'm comfortable with believing He spoke it. But I could easily see Him singing it, too. I think there's a reason why everything sings back to Him, because He sings to it, and it's just a mutual relationship. I mean, think, think about the relationship God had with the children of Zion. He sang over them and they sang back to Him. He danced over them and they danced before Him. He clapped His hands over them and they clapped their hands back to Him. What an amazing relationship. Is it, any, is it really that hard to believe He sang to the planet so the planets sing back to Him? But because of the strangeness of the time, because of the strangeness of their situation, the children of Israel surrendered something that was absolutely beautiful in its operation and beyond beautiful. It was creative and it was redemptive. Music has a creative ability. We all know this. You put on the right song and you can forget about everything. You put on the right song and you can remember everything. Music has an amazing ability to change an atmosphere. Have y'all ever discovered that? I mean, man, listen, when, when, when I need to get into the spirit, I put on the temptation singing about, I got so much honey, the bees envy me. I got a sweeter song. And the birds in the tree. Listen, I know somebody better than me needs to sing it, but I'm doing the best I can. And you might ask, what could make me feel this way? My girl. Well, may, maybe, maybe the temptations, maybe you, are, you need to get born again and the temptations don't do it for you. Maybe you're more of a Frank Sinatra. I don't know. Maybe for you it's Bruno Mars. Maybe. Maybe it's Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Because you know he was a very good friend of mine. And I never ever understood a word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. And he always had some mighty fine wine. And then he began to sing joy. See, you thought I wasn't. That was a biblical song. Joy to the world. All ye boys and girls. Joy to the fishes. Bethany, I know this is before you were born, sis. I'm sorry. Jo joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. And joy to you and me. See, music, it just took me out of church. Music has the ability to create an atmosphere and take you somewhere else. Well, not only does music create a, a, an emotional atmosphere, it can create a spiritual atmosphere. David said of the Lord that he inhabits the praises of his people. David had discovered something about when his people would enter into praise. That the presence of God would come into an arid and dry land. When his people would praise him with enough passion and enough Unction, I guess, is a good word. When they would give everything they've got to him, he would come and settle down in the midst, as if he is comfortable in praise. And David didn't know any other way of wording this. He said that you set a throne in the midst of your people's praises. 
Their praise created a spiritual atmosphere. One that David had so learned to love that he kept praise going on 24-7. He never let praise cease because he so desired the presence of God. So praise, music is creative. Once again, I don't know if music created the worlds, but I can certainly see that it could have. Because there's a harmony in the universe. There's music that resonates through every rock, every tree, all the crops, every creature in the ocean. It ought to resonate most passionately and with the greatest volume through the church of the living God. I mean, listen, what a contrast. It will finally be what a contrast between light and darkness when the world continues to rage and to rant and to scream and to protest and the church, instead of joining in with the protest and the raging, begins to be a place of praise and worship again. And while they're screaming and ranting, we're worshiping and praising. And while they are protesting, we're praising. And while that becomes increasingly dark, Light increases in the house of the living God. Have you ever noticed, listen, when, 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 when someone loses their song, they lose their strength. Have you ever noticed that when someone's depressed, one of the first things to go is music? Put up Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 20. Like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. The depressed don't want to sing. The troubled don't want to sing. I think this is the reason why so many folks stay out of worship services. Because the worship bothers them because they're, 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 they're nursing their troubles. And they don't understand if they would get into the presence of praise, their troubles will fade away. I heard, Nor is this okay this morning? I heard Norval Hayes say years ago, he wished that God, that the people of God would praise more and pray less. When he said it, I didn't understand it. And I thought like so many things. That's sacrilegious. And then he went on to explain, you can pray in unbelief. In fact, a lot of people do. Lord, save me or I'm going to die. Well, that's a prayer. Ain't a lot of faith in it. But try to praise, try to sing songs in fear and unbelief. It's hard to praise him in doubt. It's hard, hard to sing about his majesty and still feel small and insignificant. There's something about song that creates, it liberates, it redeems. But the trouble, listen, the depressed. When someone is sad, we read about, and it started, that the children of Israel sat down by the river and wept because that's all they could do. They couldn't muster up the strength to, to sing. The depressed can't take new land. The depressed can't take new levels of life. The depressed can't take new territory. The depressed can barely take a step. Proverbs says that a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. When we lose our song, it doesn't alleviate the pain, it prolongs it. Can I say that again? When we lose our song, shutting our voices down, shutting off the praise, shutting away the worship, that does not alleviate our suffering, that does not alleviate the pain, it prolongs it. If we want to break through, we got to sing. If we want to increase, we've got to praise Him. 
we have got to find our voice again. And it doesn't matter whether we sing like Bob Dylan. My wife always wants to tell me I sing like Bob Dylan. I tell her he made millions sounding that bad. We put on Christmas music the other day, and I didn't know Bob sang He should have never done it. But Bob sang a Christmas song. Bob, I love you, buddy, but that was bad. Deborah said, who's saying that? I said, that's Bob Dylan. That's who you say I sound like? But David was a friend of mine. He said, make a joyful noise. If I can do nothing else, I'll do that. Psalm 28, verse 7, listen to this. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me. My heart is filled with joy. Now remember we just read that the trouble don't even like songs being sung. But David here is saying when his heart's filled with joy, what happens? He burst out in songs of thanksgiving. His happiness is so unbridled, he, he can't help himself, but burst out in song. And if anyone knew about song, it was David. Have you all ever read the book of Psalms? Music and singing, or if you're from the south, singing. That is, that's how the book of Psalms is. And I'm going to show you where, where the, the, the revelation of praise in the life of David makes such an impact on Paul the Apostle that he carried that theme from Psalms right into the Gentile church. I'm telling you, you want to, how many of you watched the Super Bowl a few years back when Miss Jackson had to, Wardrobe malfunction. I finally, I, I, I know where we were. We were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We had come home from the mission field, and we were going to be, we were preaching actually, and, and somewhere near, I don't, we were at Dr. Thompson's church, and we were somewhere down there, and I thought, man, I'm going to finally get to watch a Super Bowl. Wardrobe malfunction. But as much as she would like to claim that she had the first uh, wardrobe malfunction, she didn't. David did. David danced with such passion, his, his clothes literally couldn't keep up. So the very first war, wardrobe malfunction wasn't at the Super Bowl. You could word it this way, it was in church. I've been in church, I, I tell you what, I miss the Holy Roller days. I long for the days when we quit worrying about being dignified. I remember Sister Picolor. She had that hair up like this. But when she would begin to praise, this ain't no lie, you had to duck because bobby pins would fly. Things would come out of her hair. And pretty soon I knew why her hair was that high because it was like this long. And I, as a judgmental, know-nothing young preacher, I used to look at her and think, you don't have to behave that way. Until one day she was doing all of this, just worshiping God, and she hit this guy. And I thought, here we go. He's going to knock that old woman out. He was instantly healed. He had come in. He had, he, I, 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 I understood he had to be carried into the church because he couldn't walk. I saw the walker, but I didn't see it then. He was holding the walker when she hit him, and he was healed. The old timers used to have something they called the praise cure. They believed you could praise him until your healing came. That you could praise your way through to the breakthrough. You could praise your way through to the other side of pain and discomfort and discontent. 
Benny Hinn, whatever you may think of him, he's not the world's greatest preacher. I don't even think he's the most anointed man on the planet. But he learned something from Catherine Kuhlman that he is dogmatic about. If you've ever been in one of his services and you think half-hour worship is too long, I was in one of his services in Tulsa and I clocked it at two plus. But he learned from Catherine, you praise until the presence comes. Have you ever noticed when you watch, people are not getting healed through the laying out of hands in his meetings. They're not even getting on the stage unless they've already been able to prove they've been healed. Where did they get healed? In the praise and the worship. He learned that from Catherine Kuhlman, who learned it from others. But I think in a large part, the church is living in a day when the music has died. We're more concerned about being professional than we are about being effective. I don't care if you can read music or not read music. I could care less if we're professional or not. I'm not looking to, I listen, I'm not looking to replicate Led Zeppelin. Though I would if I could. Y'all can sing like Robert, let me know. But what I'm looking to do is to have a group of people who will desire and be willing to create such an atmosphere of praise and worship and love that people get healed just rolling up on the property. They don't even make it through the door and they fall out. And then they get up and they're healed. How does that happen? Through great preaching? No. Through praise and worship. Through the amazing operation of, the, of music within the kingdom of our God, God responds to song. Because he's a singer. Music not only has a creative ability, it has a redemptive ability. It has the ability to deliver. Go to the book of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20, verse 21. I have seven more minutes and eight more pages. Let's see if we can do it. I doubt it. You can do it. No, I can't. Hallelujah, Father. I'm feeling his presence. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. This is what they sang. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures forever. I was singing one day. How many of you ever heard of John Starnes? Some of you. And one day I was, I was with a relative of mine, and I said, man, if I could sing like John, you'd never shut me up. He said, you can't, so please do. It is what it is. Where was I? Verse 22. At the very, listen to this, at the very moment, everyone say very moment. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived, they weren't even there yet. We're talking about the power of song. Do you know you can send your song into environments and change the environments before you even get there if you'd be willing to sing in the face of your enemies? Man, we ought to be giving Him praise at home. We ought to be worshiping Him on the job. We ought to be singing right in the face of our enemies. Because the moment we begin to sing... 
The Lord will set ambushments. We, listen, if you're tired of being ambushed, if it seems like every time you turn around, he's getting you, then why don't you start singing and see what happens? Maybe, just maybe, the God of the Bible will do for you what he's done for others and set ambushments against your enemies instead of you always being the one that gets ambushed. Let's keep reading. You can keep coming. Hallelujah, Father. Listen to this. Stay right here. So when the army of Judah, does everyone say Judah? When the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. Where's our song? Why have we let the music die? Why do we give out after 20 minutes? Why do we think praise has to end at a half hour? I had a preacher tell me, if you let worship go more than a half hour, you'll never build your church. And i got to be honest with you, if it's just about numbers and i got to keep it at five minutes or ten minutes, I'd rather kill the church. I'd rather stay with our 30, our 40, our 50. I don't care, as long as we're praising Him. Because we can do more with Him showing up Y'all ever read about Gideon? Let me finish this. You stay right here. You're carrying something. I feel it when you walk up. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Everyone say song, music. There's something about the operation of music in the kingdom of God that if we really understood it, we would never let the devil steal it. It wouldn't matter the strangeness of the time. It wouldn't matter the circumstances. Listen, if we really understood the purpose of praise and worship and, the, and, and music within the operation of the kingdom, we wouldn't need to wait until we're in the perfect place with the right people and to sing in the right song. And God forbid they should sing off key because if they sing off key, I ain't going to sing with them. And I'm going to stand there with my arms closed, my heart closed, my eyes closed, my mind closed. If we really understood it, if we had nothing but spoons and an old washboard, You'd be doing it. If I'm not careful, I'm going to order the tutus, guys. You have something? That's good. Go to the book of Acts. We just got two more. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. Everyone say, never again. What am I saying? Never again will I lose my song. Say it. Never again will I surrender my song. Not to you, 
Not to me, not to them, never again will I surrender, give up my song. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and, and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Paul was a Jew. He knew the writings of David. He knew the stories of Babylon. And he knew that if you're in a predicament, if you're in a strange place, in a strange time, and you surrender your song, you ain't never getting out. He remembered the writings of David, and over and over and over again, David would say, Sing, Zion, sing! All you daughters of Israel, sing! So when Paul and Silas were locked in chains, in the stockade, they began to pray and sing so passionately and with such volume that the other prisoners heard them. And I'm sure not every prisoner applauded. I'm sure, listen, do you all know they typically aren't good, peaceful men in prison? Typically they are hardened individuals. I imagine there were some cuss words in a multitude of languages. It was midnight. We want to sing. Would you kindly shut up, you bleepity bleepity blank. But Paul and Silas didn't quit. Why? Because the prison hadn't shaken yet. They kept singing and singing and singing until it broke. If we are people of the book... We ought to sing and sing and sing till it breaks. Instead of complaining that it ain't broke, keep singing until it breaks. Where did Paul learn this? I, I'm confident he learned it from David. He quoted David. If you ever read the writings of Paul, he quoted David quite a bit. He would say things like David said, I say. He knew the writing, so he knew that David implored the people of God, sing. In every situation, sing. In every situation, sing. So Paul practiced it. Not only did he practice it, he instructed us to do it. Go to the book of Ephesians. Has this been okay this morning? The practice of music, the operation of music, clearly made a mark in Paul's life. So Paul, who was given the instruction, of, or given the, 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 the directive, the task of instructing the New Testament church, he didn't tell the New Testament church, be solemn, be dignified. No, listen to what he said here in Ephesians 5, verse 18. He said, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what he's suggesting here is this. Listen, that the thing that people seek in the bottle, they find in the Spirit. That why do people drink? They drink, they drink to escape. They drink to endure the unendurable. They drink to numb themselves to pain and disappointment. Paul was saying, the things that you drink to find, you'll find in the Spirit. So don't be drunk. Don't try to find it in the wine, because that'll ruin your life. Find it in the Spirit. And you'll get the benefits with none of the repercussions. And then he goes on. Verse 19. Singing. You know, he's talking about, what is he talking about? Being filled with the Spirit. And here's what he's saying. Are y'all ready for this? If you are spirit-filled, 
and spirit-led, you'll sing spirit songs. I mean, that's what Paul said. Paul said, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to find yourself singing songs. Mm. Singing hymns, no, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now let me just... Why, in being filled with the Spirit, do we find ourselves breaking out in song? Because the Holy Ghost is singing inside you. The Holy Ghost is birthing heavenly music within you and the symphony of your soul will find escape through your lips. David said, I'm so happy I burst out in song. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to find ourselves singing. Have you ever noticed when someone's happy? Watch them walk through downtown Greenville when it's a nice sunny day. Maybe they're walking with a little George Jefferson. But there, there's, there's a song. There's a song. When you're happy, there's a song. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a song. It doesn't even emanate. David said, I, it burst forth from my, it's in my, I'm, I'm so happy in my heart, the song burst out. I believe that heaven sings. I believe that heaven has the most gorgeous, amazing sounds. Now you may disagree with me, me whether he got there or not. I'd like to think he got there. But I can always picture David and Elvis singing Amazing Grace. And then they see me standing over and then they say, Jimmy, 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 come here. Join in. And I say, well, you know what? I don't want to make y'all sound real bad, so I'll keep it low. Hey, listen, you can have your imagination. I can have mine. It's my delusion. Leave it alone. In closing, let me just, this is what Paul said. Listen, singing psalms. Let's break this down. The teacher in me has to break this down. In the original language, the psalm is psalmos. And it literally means this. It literally means the thumping or the twitching of the fingers. Now, most often it's applied to the striking of piano keys or the harp or the guitar or the bass. But what if you're not musically inclined? You're kind of like me. Does that mean we can't? No, 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 listen. It could mean the thumping on the desk, the snapping of the fingers, the playing of some mean air guitar, or my best Joe Cocker impression. That's a psalm. It's, it's, it's just meaning something's coming out and I can't contain. I got a thump on something. I got a beat on something. I got to use my hands to, God, you're so good. You thought this was a psalm. Oh. No, that's not a psalm. This is a psalm. The twitching of the fingers. It literally means I just, you getting it? Can you, no wonder the church, people thought we were to the Pentecostals. They're all up there in the front row going. Hey, I don't normally behave this way. The Spirit makes me do it. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. Huh? And then he said hymns. Now, hymns have more to do with the singing. Actually, in the Greek language, it means the singing to gods or heroes. These are the songs like Amazing Grace. How majestic is your name. These are the songs that burst forth where we just got to tell God. In solemnness and holiness and in majesty. No twitching, no thumping, just the lifting of the hands and the heart. And say, God, you're so good. You're high and lifted up and your train fills the temple. And then immediately as if you're done with that, you break back into this. 
And then there's spiritual songs. In the Greek, it's odes. And it literally means songs that just burst out of your heart. They are songs that have never been written. Y'all ever sang those songs? You don't, you never heard anyone else sing them. They have never been written. But you find yourself just humming them or singing them. You're just walking around the workplace, the yard, your bedroom, your living room, your hallways, and you're just finding yourself singing songs. Those are the spiritual songs. And Paul said if we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be doing all of them. We're going to have times of crazy praise where we're running the pews and screaming like wild men and running around the church going choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. Then we're going to have other times where we're lifting up our hands in majesty and honor and glory. And then there's going to be other times where we're singing songs that we ain't never even heard before. And all three are bursting forth and we're in harmony with heaven and we've learned the place of music and we ain't never going to let it die. And then Paul said, making melody in your heart. If you might allow me to paraphrase that, it literally means find a tune and let her rip. It's literally what it means. Find a song and let it go. Quit, quit thinking about what they might think. Quit thinking about, well, this isn't the right time. If you're like me, you have no problem driving down Point Set Highway singing the Temptation song. Tears of a clown just make me sing. Because me and Smokey, we got a lot in common. We both have amazing voices. Just somehow, for some reason, y'all, mine changes in public. But in private, I am a wonder to behold. You might not think so, but my father does. So in closing, here's the thing I want to leave with you. May there never in your life or mine, may there never be a day when we let the music die. And I pray with all of my heart that you would begin to appreciate the place of music once again. It's not optional. It really isn't. It's creative. It's redemptive. It's, a, it's really quite amazing how when the people of God sing the songs of Zion, even in strange lands, we can change the land we're in with the songs that we sing. I hope I remember that one. We can change the land. Listen, we can change the times we're in with the songs we sing. If you find yourself in an environment that's not conducive, change it. Change it. How? Begin to sing songs to him. If it's not a conducive place to lift your hands, then do an ode. If it's not a place to do an ode or do a psalm, well, then just go ahead and, and see how long it takes for the cops to come. You're going to get arrested. Let it be for that. What's wrong with you? Are you drunk? I'm worshiping. What church you go to? Stand to your feet. Oh. Before we close, if you need prayer this morning for anything, if your body's been hurting, if your mind's been troubled, if your heart's been vexed, lift your hand. Someone standing near you will find you and pray for you. If any two of us agree as to touching anything, it will be done. Amen? All right. Well, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for folding back and unfurling the revelation of music. Helping us to understand the implication and the place 
that music holds in your heart and in the operations of your kingdom. And Father, I pray for every member of Real Life Church and every person who hears this message online, on TV, or by CD. May music break forth in their hearts. I pray, Father, that they would let loose with the praise. That they would experiment with the song. And then sit back in wide-eyed wonder as they see what you do. And Father, as we redouble our efforts to be worshipers and praisers, I thank you, Father, for those who have set themselves up as our enemies. We didn't make them our enemies. They set themselves up as our enemies. I worship you and thank you that you set up ambushments against them. And then we receive amazing plunder. So much so that it takes three days just to bring it in the house. Amen. Well, why don't you love on someone and then you're dismissed to go in the grace of God.